Welcome to another episode of Latinos Who Thrive. I am your host, Victor Escalante. A big thank you to all of our listeners who are listening in the U.S., Germany, El Salvador, Belgium, Singapore, and France. We're excited to bring you another episode with fashion designer Claudia Ochoa, founder of CLO Intimo, a lingerie line of women's apparel. Claudia is a native of Colombia whose life has been filled with all kinds of twists and turns. So you are in for an interesting story. We're going to hear a fascinating story of rags to living the American dream in New York City. If you have dreams that you want to make happen in 2023, this guest is going to inspire you to reach for those dreams. So let's get started. We now have Claudia Ochoa. Claudia, welcome to Latinos Who Thrive. Thank you so much, Victor, for allowing me to share my story with you guys and your audience. Tell us a little bit about your background. My background is um, fashion design. Um, before that, I was born in Medellin, Colombia, which is a textile industry maker in uh, Latin America. And my family also in the uh, manufacturing business. Is, so I grew up among fabrics and sewing machines and cutting. So, um, yeah, fashion design seemed to be um, the right way to go, the natural way for me to uh, express my talent and uh, and have deep knowledge. Uh, and obviously that was going to allow me to be, you know, the best, one of the best in uh, my field. Um, Medellin, Colombia was uh, where I was born. And, a, a difficult uh, town uh, because of you know it wasn't the time of the mafia and all of that so we needed it to you know succeed and, and more than anything probably uh, leave the country too and so that was the the beginning of my life you know learn English do my uh, homework and uh, where I go to college and, and try to acquire as more knowledge as I can and then with that travel uh, the world and hopefully come back with a, a better understanding or stay where I where I was received, received you know. Or, How big try. was your family's company in terms of either revenues or in terms of uh, employees? Uh, in terms of employees, uh, I could say that they probably had around 10 employees, 10, 12. So it's a, it's a small manufacturer. A manufacturing company. My mother will design uh, pieces. She will uh, go into a couple of distributors. They um, will uh, place an order for her and then she will come and buy the fabric. And so she was kind of like a designer. She didn't go to school for that, but she had a natural talent for it. So uh, we will make 200, 500 pieces of a denim jacket or a share of a jeans. And um, yeah, that's when I was growing up and I understood to, you know, how that if you create something, people will going to give you money for it. And it was just about, you know, acquiring all the talent or, or the knowledge to to do, be able to do that. You know, with something you make with your hands, you were able to, um, you know, make a living with it. And um, so it was more like a, a small manufacturing facility. Just we were moving from a middle class, you know, like a lower middle class uh, by doing all this work together into like more, you know, lower upper or middle class. So so it was a humble business. It was a small humble business. Tell us about the struggles of a small company that you learned firsthand working in your family's business, the highs and lows that you went through. 
Um, the struggles are, you know, the components sometimes are not available. Sometimes they have, uh, you know, you make a sample with something and, and then two or three months you go and try to find it and then it's not available or there's big minimums of it. So you have to change it. The customer is not as happy as the change or you have to meet the minimums. You have to buy a lot of fabric and then leave some fabric underneath the table waiting to sell another product. So it's, it's um, yeah, a financial struggle to keep uh, um, the components uh, available and not to have any problem with all the little things, the elastic, the thread. And the other big struggle is the people to not know they're not always have a good disposition to work. They don't work necessarily at, at your best and, and they have attitudes and then you have to deal with that too. So it's, it's a difficult environment, the manufacturing facility to, to you know have 12 people and each of them is got a different feeling and then some of them is slow, the other is fast and then you got to go and, you know, and try to um, keep up with all the processes. And so as an owner, you have to wear so many hats. You got to, you know, help here in the sewing, and then help here in the cutting, then help here in man and pattern making. So that as an owner, you need to know all of these um, areas to be able to jump in if it's necessary or to be able to, to find um, what you need to make it work better. So um, components and, and people are one of the biggest struggles in, in the manufacturing. And yeah. the customer doesn't care about your struggles, does he? That's right. Well, my order ended, oh, you changed the tool is a little lighter and then they're like no this is what the manufacturing game is they same one no i don't like that or the color ah it's not the color they have a lot a lot of excuses that they can you know come up with if they want they don't want to do the business or they you know have a little doubt about it is and then you have to overcome also so it's not in the beginning within your manufacturing facility but then when you deliver it sometimes you know the the person is not as as willing to receive it even though they place the order and then you got to talk to them. No, just keep it. It's the same. I promise you to try to sell it. If you don't sell it, then we'll see. But so it's always having to, you know, make everybody feel good and comfortable. And then you you swallow all that struggle and you go to, to sleep in your God, How am I going to be able to resist all of this? But then, you know, you know that you are reaching higher. So obviously that deeper the pain is, the higher yes. you reach, the deeper the pain. Your early development in the fashion industry tells me that you developed the brain for high tolerance of stress. Yes, I think so too. Um, I could see the, the struggles of my parents too with you know trying to meet a, a deadline for sewing and the sewers are not really giving you the, you know, the their full capacity and and you know, but they they at the end of the day, and sometimes they work a little extra or a weekend. They put everything down and they meet with friends. They gather. They have the the little drinks. They eat. So they they had a way to Colombia. We are a very happy country. Let's see. We like to gather with our families. We we are very affection affectionate. We like hugs and kisses, and we love music and food. So. It's, it's a way to like uh, release the stress, the culture itself. We love music, and the sunsets, it's a beautiful weather and, and um, the, you know, the birds, uh, the fruits. Somehow we're given uh, a lot of ways to, if we want to release the stress, if we want to keep saying, then everything, beauty is out there, family and, and, and you know, other, other things of life that are not necessarily, uh, you know, the financial success. 
Claudia, growing up in fashion, did you get to travel to some of the big fashion shows in the, the world's capitals of fashion? You mean in New York, uh, Paris? And, yes. Well, I had uh, the, the chance, not when I was growing. I was growing, uh, I didn't travel. I stayed in, in Medellin. But Medellin hosts the Latin American trade show for fashion and textile. One of the is Colombia Tex, Colombia Moda. So um, when I was in college, we were uh, participating in these trade shows. We were creating pieces. We were, you know, staging fashion shows, uh, photography trade boots for a trade show. So the college, um, very early in the semesters, there were um, four years that, that we did this um, the studies of fashion. They were always. Um, you know, uh, get us to to work with the distributors of fabric of the fabric makers or big brands that wanted to stage something. So that was the school that was very good on it. But uh, we didn't have the, the, the chance. I had travel outside of the country. And, but when I moved into New York and we started the, the company, my husband, we weren't ready, but he pushed us to go into Paris. And there's a one trade show that is uh, interfilier that is the show for the intimate apparel and twice a year. So we participated twice as a, as a small designers in a little area where, you know, we wanted to be discovered. So that was fantastic to um, participate in a trade show. So yeah, that's pretty much the, the two big experience that I have in, in the capitals of fashion. So you grew up in Colombia. How did you come to the U.S.? Um, like uh, I mentioned it before, because I was lucky enough to have this big um, name people that wanted to create a company uh, in Miami, they sent me the paperwork. Because I, myself, uh, with a friend, we wanted to travel here and I went to ask for the visa. I bring all the paperwork. I probably was 20, 22 at the time. And we just said we wanted to have a tourist visa. Mm, and, the, and, you know, the person at the embassy, the agent is like, no, you are very young and you are like the perfect person to stay in the United States. And they deny the visa. No, come back. But who's this house? Who is this uh, car? Who is this? And everything was my parents. And they're like, no, come back to get a visa when you have something that holds you into this country. And I said, well, that's going to be very hard because it's hard to make a good living. And, and on top of that, bring access to have, you know, the embassy. So I was very sad for, you know, I don't know when it's going to happen then. But then out of the blue, I'm working for this company. Four years later, somebody in, in this country wants to interview me. And I was like, okay, well, um, I don't have a visa. And they're like, don't worry, we'll send you the paperwork. We want we want to interview you in Miami. I was like, oh my God, this is like, it comes from heaven because, <laughs> you know, otherwise, I don't know when, I was already 26. How did they find out so, about you? Because I worked for this designer, Carlos Pinel. He was a famous designer in Colombia at the time. And he was the, the person I did my interview with, but he didn't, so he had these people um, with the project of Jimmy Connors, Liberto. Coming into the company, they were sourcing um, denim. That was the company that you, we did a lot of denim there. So he didn't know any English. So the only person that knew English in the company was me. And he's like, can you present the collection? And I said, yeah, of course. The English, I don't know. And I'm like, all right. I said, oh, wow. 
this is the moment Spain of because I've been studying English since I was 13. And little by little going to school. And, and now is the time to, it's reality. And then I, you know, I use my little English. Hi, this is what we do. This is the collection. And then they say, thank you. They left a year after. They came back asking for me to the same company. We wanna meet these people. I, I wasn't working in the company anymore. I had to move on. And then, and then the party maker said, "These people is asking. For, she want me to give you the uh, the designer. Uh, the the owner of the company was a little jealous. He said, no, she left. And no, no, no. The party maker who I had great relationship. We really like each other. Called me and she and she said, "Do you want me to give them the the number? They are asking for you." And I said, of course, yeah, give it the numbers. And they called me and said, can we interview you in Miami? And I'm like, well, I don't have a visa. They're like, and I barely speak English. And said, ah, it's in Miami, don't worry. We, you know, everybody speaks English. We want you. And, and then just go to, can you go to the embassy and get it? And I said, wow, yes, of course. Yeah, we'll send you the paperwork. So they, they did send me all the paperwork. I would go to the embassy with my drawings. You know, I had gone to college for fashion. I had drawings and I worked with companies. So I had a good um, book. And uh, and then they have also the, you know, the paperwork that um, this project was, you know, providing. And most of it, they wanted to interview me. And even the, the person at the embassy was like, wow, that's very cool. They're going to interview you. And this is all the sketches are you. And this is, yeah, okay, good, good luck. And he just gave me the visa. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> fantastic. It's like a like a dream because otherwise i don't think visas are very difficult right now they're like three years in yes. advance like like you and, and then doesn't guarantee you they're very difficult now and and it's always been very difficult so for me um, to get it this way is is and to be ready I, if, I, if i wasn't ready if i didn't make the effort what were you feeling when you got the visa and you knew that it was a done deal that you were coming to miami to be interviewed what did you feel? I just laugh. So, and I look always, I look up at heaven. I'm like, is somebody up there really? <laughs> He's like, oh my God, this is, yeah, because, uh, you know, it's like so real. It's like a, seeing a dream come true. Uh, it's, you almost like have to touch it. It's like, is it for me? Really? It's like, yes. oh, I can't believe it. I didn't, I mean, I work for it. It's not something that you have control on it. But it's something that life has that way of rewarding you by itself with, when you least expect it. When you had work for something, you had had the, the discipline, you had paid an effort for what you are asking for. Usually the life doesn't give you something for free. It, it's usually like it, it charges you the bill first and then it gives it to you. <laughs> yes. So I was prepared for that. I was prepared to make a big, make a big effort. I knew that that was the way um, to do it. So putting yourself uh, uh, through English school outside of uh, a high school, something that not every kid does. Every yes. kid wants to go away and then watch TV. And I said, no, I need to take a bus and go downtown and put and go to that class. It's just an hour and then come back and do my homework. And everybody's like, what? Like, we don't even want to get our English even in class because they give you uh, English classes in high school. But nobody even, everybody's like overwhelmed. They don't even know. I don't understand English. I don't know when. And for me, it was like, English is going to be my freedom. If, Did I, you I dream as a little girl of being a fashion designer and traveling the world? Was that your dream I, as a little girl? My dream was uh, travel. Uh, I think that uh, I was very aware that culture was way more than, than what I was living. 
things that was happening, we'll see those big TV show dynasty and uh, you know all of those. The world was bigger than my yes. little town, and and I didn't want to just stay in my little town because yes. I was very curious about what was going out there through the TV shows, movies, through music. It was so much to explore. That, but I, I knew that I wasn't gonna get anywhere. At least I needed to understand the the. So the language of the planet was English. I, I needed at least to understand that. So you to, came to Miami to for a job interview. Did you get the job? No, the company never cre was created. Uh, Liberto and Jimmy Connor never really because they brought several of us. Uh, me as a designer, another two companies, uh, big companies as um, uh, manufacturers like Food Package and a couple of people more like production for none of us was you know the, the business never consolidated so we don't know what you know what happened to them because there's a lot of speculation them. in the fashion business isn't there to where you speculate yes. and you take risk and you you yes. put your best foot forward and it, things don't work out so what was it's, that it's like incredible. for you when project or the the business never materialized what did you feel then well, because I wasn't expecting anything from it. I had already got a lot from the, the interview. I had a visa that I owned and that I, nobody was going to take away from me. Okay. And I was working for a company already. They, I just took a few days to go for a possible interview. So if it happened or not, I wasn't expecting anything. And so they stayed in Miami. All the team that flew there would go back to Colombia and everybody goes back to their business. And we're okay. waiting for somebody to call. But they never called. But so we didn't feel anything. We were just curious. I mean, how is that a company takes us all oh, this team, pays for a hotel, pays for everything, and then we never hear from them? None of us. No, okay. the five, because we were, they called me, did they have you called you? And I said, no, okay, well, that's funny. But uh, none of us was really they expecting anything. We already committed to where we were working, what we were doing at that time. At that time. So the dream didn't materialize. What happened next? I continue working on uh, the companies that I'm working with, uh, uh, negotiating, working less, less time for the companies and more and more time in my own project. And so my own project was, uh, you know, doing uh, um, little pieces and uh, crafty that I would sell to my friends uh, and study, you know, um, yoga and meditation. There was areas that were very important for me, you know, my mind and all that. So I meet some people and uh, I get to uh, work for a company that sent me to uh, New York and Los Angeles to buy samples in Miami. So I'll go uh, once a year to Miami, LA, New York, and I'll stay with friends and, um, and just to buy samples and things, go back to Colombia and show them, oh, we could do this, we could do that. And so in one of those times, I meet a guy in Colombia, as a friend, but I know, I meet him there. And then and we started like a relationship and, and he goes, travels to Colombia. And, and then I say, hey, why don't I just go there? Your friend is renting a, a room. I want to move to New York. And I just, I was living independent in Medellin, which is also something that you didn't do. You live with your family until you could. For me, it was important to move around my family, to pay my own rent, to show myself that I could, you know, be independent instead, yes. you know, pay my own bill. So, and then uh, I said, yeah, uh, come to New York and, and uh, try. And I said, six months, I'm going to perfect my English. If, if uh, 
because it was important to say bilingual in my resume too, because it give it can give you more money. You know, it's different a person that can translate information and forecast and and somebody that doesn't. So when you work in fashion in, in Colombia, so I could have a better English, better communication. I was studying and understand, but the speaking, the part of the speaking was very difficult. I will come to New York and, and tell the, the girl at McDonald's, number six, please. And she said, just say to go. And I said, number six. She's like, just say to go. And I'm like, what? And, and Puerto Rican, uh, Spanish-speaking person said, que si se lo va a comer aquí o se lo va a llevar para la casa. So it was this way to speak, these modismos that I couldn't really... Right. Communicate. Right. I said, I cannot communicate fully. And it's, I'm frustrated because I'm, I'm being this goal that I want to conquer the English. So I think I'm, uh, I should do it if I, if I go six months there and I'm with the people and I, my accent could improve my understanding and all of that. So I decided to move six months and see what happens, you know, and if I got a job, great. And if I didn't go, I have some money, very little, but I was hoping that I, I asked some people there how difficult it is to get a job here. Oh no, it's the difficult is not to get a job. There's jobs everywhere. And that's 23 years ago, 20, no more than 25 years ago. 1999 is when I moved uh, here. So, you know, it was easy to get a job as a, you know, hostess, uh, for example, which is what I did work at a coffee uh, bagel store. So you get a minimum wage. And, and it was good because I, I wasn't expecting much. I wanted to practice my English and, uh, and you know, make a little living. It was much better than what I was making in Colombia, even if it was $6 or $10 an hour. It was way much better. So, and and things were, you know, unfolding itself. So I got a job here, I got a job there. And then um, it got a point where I had to go back. And then, you know, I got a, um, a lawyer that told me, no, uh, Stay a little longer, don't go back because of this, and that you already overstay. So I'd rather you try to fix your situation a different way. So, yeah, that uh, I was like, you know, like I, at a point in my experience, I had I was without papers. I mean, I had it overstated my visa. Yes. Yeah. During the six months of your tourist visa, did you work in fashion or did you work minimum wage job? Yes. I worked a minimum wage job and I met a girl that was looking for a designer because she wanted Timea Silly. She wanted to create her own design company, lingerie company. She had a little office on Fifth Avenue by Penn Station. And, um, and I said, yeah, I'll make samples. I, um, I had um, actually uh, the opportunity to get into a, a Betsy Johnson manufacturing facility. It was in Long Island City. I worked... Um, you know, ten dollars an hour job for Coco was my friend from Colombia who had bedding uh, products from India. So I worked for her, and downstairs uh, was the Betsy Johnson manufacturing facility. So it was for me. And, and one of the the sample girls was Colombian. So I would go to her, and she would make me like a little panty or something after work, and I would bring it to this Timia Silic, and I said, "Hey, look what I made for you." And she's like, oh, "Yes, yes." So she decided to buy a couple of sewing machines. And have me working on my sample making on her little Fifth Avenue, you know, 30, what was that? 32nd Street. And we were making uh, little samples. And, and with Coco, I had gone to trade shows. So I knew what I was going to a trade show was. And in Colombia, like I told you, uh, our school put us through trade shows. So we, I wasn't afraid to do a trade show. She's like, I'm doing a trade show. 
can you come with me and help me sell? And I said, sure, I'll go with you. And, and one of the samples that I made for her ended up in the Victoria's Secret catalog. Adriana okay. Lima is wearing it in the catalog. Yes. I meet my husband at that time. My husband is, why are you doing this for somebody else and not for yourself? And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's not as easy. I mean, I'm barely making $10 an hour here and there. It's not, you don't start making a company just like that. And he's like very curious. He's seen me work. I'm doing, you know, print design for another person. And he said, well, I'm going to pay for one of those three shows that you, you go with your person. But um, can you, are you able to put a collection for yourself? That's my husband. At that time, we were just starting dating. And I said, of course, I'm, I, I can put a collection. So you're going to pay for the book? Um, kind of like in a, in a challenging kind of way. And I said, yes. yes. I, I make a collection with my $10 an hour salary, okay? Wow. After paying my whole thing. And then we go and we put it together and you pay for the boot. The boot sure. at that time was $2,000. You are listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Claudia Ochoa. We'll be right back. Did you know that only 20% of people set goals? Of those goal setters, only 30% ever succeed in reaching their goals. What if I told you that you can learn what it takes to crush it in having all you want out of life? Mark your calendar for January 21st at 9.30 to 11.30 to attend How to Set Effective Goas. This goal-setting training is different from all others you have attended because it incorporates all the latest of neuroplasticity, neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, and brain spotting. All the details will be in the show notes, so mark your calendar. We now return you to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest, Claudia Ochoa. Claudia, you mentioned the brand Coco. Are you talking about the big internationally famous brand or is that a person? No, 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 no. This is is Coco bedding. This is furniture, pillows, and, and... it, the products made in India. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, there was okay. it was a Colombian lady that was doing that, you know, bringing that, importing those, bearing, designing it, having them make it. But I think she's not in business anymore. It's, it's difficult. It's, you know. Okay. So you go to this uh, industry show. You yeah. have your own booth. You have your own collection. Yeah. And what happens then? So uh, the way that I was able to, in serve myself in the market at that time was because um, I didn't uh, make brass with wires and padding and thing for the guests that wanted to have big booths and uh, you know all the big brass. I make brass without wires, okay. soft brass and little things. So I deconstruct the bra and I just make pretty, you know, I put um, little embroideries with semi-precious stone, the little soft brass. Uh, one or two layers that lays or two so at that moment everybody's like let me see uh can I say yeah brass for girls that like their boobs you know girls that they're small and boobs and they're not looking to you know get up uh, you know a surgery and they don't need to be padded or you know or they don't want to make believe they have a bigger they like the way they are and then we put in layers on on their breast so that was something that not really much many brands, maybe one or two, they were doing at that point. So brass, brass that, that actually were more like um, little camis that you can open up your shell a little bit and show that the brass. So it wasn't that intimate, almost like a mixing 
uh, ready to wear with uh, intimate apparel. So um, this is very Colombian, you know, I, I hang, you know, beautiful green uh, fabric tool and I put in the floor, you know, like um, these mats that are very natural. They were stepping into a different, people used to not do any much in their foots at the trade show. This is my rack, this is my, they were, it's a very logistical kind of business. So I wanted to make it more fun. Like if you, you know, Colombians come yeah. in and flowers and things, and everybody was like, "Who are you? How come I haven't seen you?" I said, "No, it's the first trade show." <laughs> like, and when are you delivering this? And I'm like, "I didn't even know much about the logistics at the point." I said, "Like whenever you want." <laughs> and she's like, "Because that's not how you do it in business. You know, you this is delivered this month because you know you it takes you three or four months to deliver something." So, but it was very, you know, like very crafty with just an idea and but we started we met somebody that that had way inside of the fashion industry in, in the united states and she said can i wrap you without charging you with just when we sell you know you give me 15 percent commission i'm yes yes i need that so things were like unfolding together so she starts selling and going to other straight shows ready to wear straight shows and she sells very well and i'm, I'm I had to tell him stop selling because I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this. This is I need to find this always. I need to find so it was more complex than than you thought. But you were still working out of your house at this time, weren't you? Right, exactly. I'm working out of my place using the uh, Betsy Johnson manufacturing facility. They opened me here, but they're not always could do it. They were very busy. They had to say, "I'm sorry, Claudia, we can." And I didn't have really any other perk, so it was very stressful. And we had to uh, actually go to Colombia, come back to Colombia and say, all right, I'm here, I know the industry. So now I know how things are done here. This I can control because in, in the United States, it's super expensive. Yes. I mean, I was paying hundreds for, you know, a hundred dollars a top, 150 for a sample in Colombia was very different. So that's when we, then we stopped making it in, in the United States. And then we went to Colombia and said, all right. So um, going back was fantastic. The first time with uh, my little project, it's like, ah. <laughs> when you went back to Colombia for outsourcing the manufacturing, was your family still in the business of manufacturing? No, they had uh, already stopped. And my father and my mother had a divorce. And um, my mother had already even traveled with my sister to the United States because they wanted to be here with me too. It was super simple. And they went back because they realized it's not that easy, you know, with a little girl and my sister. So uh, what we did is actually with the sewing machine that we bought here to make the product, because we, at one point, we actually made, we had an office in, you know, in the garment district with sewing machines to make our own things. And then we had to put everything in a, you know, like big ship and send it to Colombia and okay. create the little company in Colombia. And I, and I use my parents, my, my family and my mother, actually at that point, my mother and my father tried to be together around my little facility. Okay. My brother was working there. So, but then it, it was just only so many years because then it did not work. You know, the family issues sure. get involved and then. Yeah. Yes. The first year after your first trade show on your own, how much did you sell? I think it was thirty thousand dollars. The okay. first uh, trade show. Uh, it cost us two thousand uh, the show. Okay. And um, the booth. It cost us probably um, you know I don't know five hundred to make sample, maybe a thousand. 
and then making the production. So it was a profitable business. Yes. You know, my husband comes from uh, Wall Street, so he could see that you know if you could manage all the variables, you could actually make a good profit with it. Yes. It's managing the variables that it may become very difficult all right. finding the balance. Let's fast forward to last year, 2022. How yeah. much in sales did you have? I think 80,000. I mean, the growth is, is being painful. It's not, we have, I mean, usually, you know, between 50 to 80. And it should be way better But the moment we are. But uh, we're still struggling. With, You're you know, doing what logistics. you can with what you got. And yeah. that's very yeah. commendable. We're self-funded company. We're not, like you mentioned in the beginning, maybe we put it in the credit card a little bit, but then yeah. we have to put it back in the yeah. chunks, 10,000 at the time. So, yeah, we have grown since then. And, and it's a lot of growth still ahead of us. Claudia, tell us about any uh, subcontract work that you have manufactured other famous brands that maybe not under your label, uh, or tell us about the uh, most famous uh, chains that carry your brands where people can listen to us, they can go shop for your brand. Right. I think the, the biggest at this moment will be anthropology. Anthropology okay. is high-end, a lower high-end uh, distributor of um multi-brands, you know, not just my brand, but other, and their own brand too. They source a lot of, in Asia, but they they want to have um, new and excited products, products that are not in every, everywhere that the brands are a little bit, you know, like, uh, like you find something that is uh, new. So we are the brand that they consider new and like a little unique for their store. <clears throat> We've been with them probably for the last five years. And that is Clo Intimo. Then you go to Anthropology and website, you type Clo Intimo, and then you'll see the products that all the pictures they, they make themselves, make the product look great. That's um, Urban Outfitters, three people. It's the same, basically the same big company. It's just um, Anthro has like a more mature pro, uh, consumer. And then the other ones is a little younger consumer. So we are floating between you know, a younger consumer and a little bit more mature, but that would be the, the biggest part. Yeah, we'll have your webpage uh, on the show notes and your contact information for anyone that's interested in contacting you. If they would like to carry your product if, or if they want to order direct from you, we'll have that in the show notes. Tell us, uh, Claudia, what is unique about your lingerie line? And do you have a clothing line also? No, we have, it's not a clothing line, but it's a um, lounge. And Intimate apparel. Kind of line. We have bras, panties, bodysuit, little camisole, but then now we have uh, the lounge pants okay. and uh, shirts and robes, you know, where, where the girl wears around the house when she wants to, uh, you know, work at the house or watch TV. Or... So those products that are not, only intimate but something that it could actually walk um to the store with so okay. it's a little between intimate and there's something that you can go up and yeah it's because the um, the fashion has uh, changed that way one of the things that we consider unique about our brand and it was since the first trade show is that i connect every brand has a little semi-precious stone attached to it like a little um tiger's eye and 
other um, little stars, little jade, little um, heart. But then what is unique is not just that I find it important to connect us with Earth, right? In, in every sense that is possible. A person should be very aware of her, her mind, the beauty of, of, of our planet, nature. And so that little semi-precious stone is nature, is the symbolism that we uh, are closest uh, souls should be connected to nature. And then at the same time, the, uh, there is an altruistic uh, goal on this, is the, the gears that haven't developed a skill, the 14, 13, 15 year old girls that have not really the opportunity to study. Right? So they can make a living putting these little semi-precious stones in every piece. Or the ladies that need to make a, an extra living, but they don't have a skill, really. They don't know how to sew or, or do patterns or anything. So they, we can set them, see them around the pieces and start sewing because it has to be by hand. You know, it doesn't do it a machine. So it has to be somebody that threads a needle, puts it through the panty, takes the little piece, ties it in the back. So it's a, it's a little labor involved, uh, which is symbolized symbolize for me our awareness of uh, the connection between us and nature, what nature has given us, and the opportunity of somebody that one needs to make a living and has no uh, really much skills. So let me make sure I, I understand you. Yeah. Do you send a kit, like a kit with with the underwear and the semi-precious stone? Or, or We send the semi-precious stone. They okay. have the threads, the elastic threads in Colombia. They have the needle to thread them. They have the, all these little the delicate needles that can go through the little detail. And all of this in Colombia. So the only thing that we really okay. need to uh, send them is the stone. We'll, we'll find it here. Okay, in, in, so in, you're in, talking in, about a finished product, correct? Not that a, the consumer... a finished product. Yeah, okay. the finished product comes out, and okay. it just doesn't just go into a bag. It stops. A little girl uh, or a lady takes all of this uh, crafty. Let me ask you, how did you come up with that idea? Walking through um, <laughs> Chinatown one one day, I said, "I want my piece to be unique. I want my piece to people feel good." And I'm talking to somebody. And um, I think it's one of my friends, and he, and he says, I'm also to, uh, buying uh, little jades, finding jades for my, you know, little stones for the side of my bed. And he's like, well, why don't you put a, a piece of jade like you buy in it? And, and I look at him and I'm like, <gasps> because I, then I saw all the little tiny jades and I said, yes, it's like a lucky panty. And he says, exactly, lucky panty. And actually in the beginning, I made a three-pack panty you know, nude, ivory, and black, and I put it in a little bag, and it was called Loki Panty. And uh, so this friend had a connection in Kmart, and he said, we're going to sell this to Kmart, you know, and we, he made me make samples and all of that, and we make samples and we send it to them. And that's when, when my husband at the time was said, I mean, what are you doing with all of this? You're working so much, and they, people are making you work, and you're getting nowhere. Why don't we just... My husband knew that there was a business because... I was making this lucky panty pack and that the idea came in Chinatown because I'm looking for semi-precious stones. Does, is it connected to any of your studies in yoga or energy or anything? That's connected to that. That's connected because it's, the crystals are amazing. I mean, okay. the planet just, it's amazing because I'm an, I have an awareness on meditation right. and yoga. I value these things. All right. So 
I'm going to come out of the closet here and, <laughs> and tell you that I actually, uh, I'm not an expert, particularly in, in the topic, but I know something about uh, how having certain semi-precious stones associated with different areas of your body, namely the chakras, it's going to influence the energy that you feel. But that's precisely five millimeters of awareness. Yes. This panty has a little semi-precious stone, and this yes. is made by the planet itself. And the panties is located in the, in the in second chakra, chakra, correct, which is associated with sexual and cash-making energy. <laughs> All right. You are, you are definitely helping me more and more to describe this connection because even up until now I need that information yes. that you just gave me. For example, so the color associated with the second chakra is orange. Okay. That is the that is a vibrant color of creativity, creativity, uh -huh. cash, and your sexuality. So right. uh I won't go as far as to tell you, but I can tell you there's a relationship that if you put certain semi-precious stones in a particular panty, it's going to have a healing force for those who have right. any kind of sexual <clears throat> trauma from their childhood, from their past, because of the vibration that is being uh, sustained right in that area. It's going to right. heal and it's going to affect the energy. Victor, thank you so much because you are helping me to, you know, how do you say, to uh, present the idea to them clearer. I mean, the way that you are putting it, I think, I don't think we had it as clear as you are putting it for me now. So, so you're giving me weapons to, to you know, make it this a really a stronger idea than I thought it was. It's, it's even deeper with the, the karma, with the chakras, with the colors. I think that I, I, I've been so involved in the production process and the design that I left this little, I you know, this little wisdom neglected. And now you, now I'm gonna go. I finished this and I'm gonna go and write all of this. And now yes. I know how I'm gonna present it. Yeah. And the reason so, I so know this, something about the topic is I've had uh, yeah. teachers. I've had, I've had master teachers uh, mm -hmm. teach me about the effect of colors, about design. Uh, I've studied the uh, sacred geometry, which again, okay. you get into certain geometric designs and how there is harmony in nature and why we need to have harmony in our personal and professional lives. I'm beautiful. You had put it perfect. This is the idea that I want to represent. And then this is the wisdom that I want to carry. And when people buy it, I want them to think in those terms. And, and make them think, oh, yes. all right, so awareness, the orange, the shape, the stone, the chakra. So it makes, it's, it's just help people that to deep, get deeper, you know, some, uh, how do I say, other dimensions of, of life. Absolutely. Not just the money and, the, and you know, and possessions or, or you know, the beauty. You know, it's, it's another dimensions and, and they are great, important. So, yeah, I, I want to. I want to carry all that with me and, and thank you so much again for, you know, giving me that wisdom. That I'm excited to so fast fantastic. track your, your success here in, in your lingerie line. Uh, thank you so, so much. That, uh, you can impact uh, the world. 
Right, and and uh, I'm making it more. Even the last collection was started to to um, give um, in our line list. You know the the format, the, the information we give to the buyers. Tell them there is an embellishment. You know, like just making people aware because sometimes they don't even know that there is something there that has a meaning. Now, since last year, we're starting to. So it's a lot of information that we still have to share with, and like you said, it's going to help us it's only going to help us to propel our business to share you know this wisdom with our buyers claudia what would you tell the younger claudia when she had that dream of coming to the states and getting a job in fashion what would you tell the younger claudia what would i tell the younger claudia interesting question and i guess um keep on moving keep on uh, making the effort keep on your discipline uh, you know it's gonna work out. Keep on being, being prepared for your dream. Keep on paying the, you know, the price for what, what it costs to get to the places that it's easy to get. You know, disappointed and kind of like, you know, in a comfort zone and let things. You know, keep pushing it. Keep, uh, you know, with twenty years, twenty five years after doing something, you can get a little, you know, like. Resting with what life is, you know, bringing you. But no, keep on pushing this other customer. Keep on talking to you and finding more information how your product can. Don't stop um, pressing and and pay a lot of attention, a lot of attention to every little details. I give myself more time to to concentrate on every every aspect and not go too fast. Because I've been here for being too fast, but. I, I will tell the younger Claudia to push it and but give you most concentration to every aspect of this. 2023 is your year, your year for developing yes. patience. Think, <laughs> the year, the so, Chinese yeah. year of the rabbit. For patience, huh? Yes. Yes, I, I wanted it. It's too impatient, too fast, and the cutting sometimes cutting corners to yes. get somewhere. And no, it's the patient, the, the perfect corners. The new ones, the artistic, yes. Correct. What advice would you give to Latinas who are listening to our show? Young Latinas that maybe they're starting out in their corporate job. Maybe they have a dream of having their own company. What advice would you give them? Work uh, simultaneously. Duties, the job that pays your bills and and the job that uh, brings you closer to your dream. So you want to dream you have to work and do this multitask and this simultaneous thing don't you can know sit around and wait for things to come to you 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 know gotta make a uh, staff and make an effort instead of coming home at 5 p.m and, and then just you know one day you go to the gym the other day because we the body is so important or, or do you you know killing off the body the next day you are looking for you know even the person that is needs to interpret your ideas or whoever has to need all this the books that you need to read to acquire the knowledge and all the you know the uh, language that you need to you know get into so so make the effort you know make the effort have the discipline to to run the the predictable life that is going to work from eight to five nine to five every day and then having your dream here and feed it every day with the, your little, you know, details, with your little discipline for that dream that you have. Usually the work and the dream go separated, but kind of like align one next to the other. So 
uh, be aware of if you have a dream, it has to be pulled that at the same time that you pull your normal life, the dream has to be pulled on the other side and then just keep them both. Uh, don't neglect your dream. Okay. You know. Any final words, Claudia? Any final words um, to my audience and, and to people to want to uh, make uh, something happen for them and acquire all the skills that, that make you the best person. Uh, and um, don't neglect any skills that you know are necessary to, to be the best in what you are planning to be the, you know, to do what you like, be the best and acquire the skills little by little. And they are acquirable. If somebody has them, you certainly can do it too. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. Claudia Ochoa, famous. Thank you. Famous (laughs) and about to become even more famous fashion designer. Intimate apparel. With your support and and we're going to keep talking and I'm going to keep you updated of um, you know how we are growing absolutely and you have an open invitation to come and tell us your future journey in fashion i think i might use it maybe at the end of the year i i, I have some better news it's not a eighty thousand dollar month it's a hundred and fifty thousand dollar month that's what we're gonna get very soon that would be great well thank yes. you for uh, being a guest on our show today claudia and much success in 2023 Thank you, Victor. The best for your audience and for you. Thank you so much again.